Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. O bride, the bridegroom is coming. Listen for him. Psychologists, theologians, and historians have all noted that uh, religious decline leads to marital and family decline. Family decline leads to church decline. What I mean is that when the church loses her clear focus on biblical teaching, a.k.a. doctrine, and becomes soft, all you need is Jesus, all you need is love, when that happens, the family declines. Because marriage and family is one of those key biblical doctrines. Uh, But once you lose the family, uh, you lose the church. Because Christianity is a story told through the prism of marriage and the family. Take away the prism and the story makes less sense. After all, the Bible begins with the marriage in Genesis chapter 1. When God creates a spouse for Adam from his side on the sixth day. The Bible ends with a marriage in Revelation 22 with the bride saying to the groom, come quickly. And the entire Bible is about the marriage of Christ to his bride, the church, shown most beautifully on another sixth day when the bride of Christ is formed from the side of Christ as blood and water pour from Jesus to give her life. He gives his life for hers, which then causes St. Paul to say to husbands in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Your wife should not be the one holding you up. Your wife should find her life, her joy, her strength from you. Because you husbands first received it from Jesus. Uh, But we're losing it. We're losing the beautiful story of Christianity because we're losing the beautiful story of marriage. We can't understand stories Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven, uh, like the parable of the ten virgins and the wedding banquet in Matthew 25, because we don't understand marriage. The parable of the bridesmaids waiting for the bride, for the bridegroom to come and get her and consummate the marriage, makes no sense in a culture where cohabitation is the norm, where brides and grooms don't wait at all, where the groom doesn't go to get his bride because she already lives with him, or when the groom can easily just throw out his bride and get another one. This is why the church, or St. Paul says that sexual immorality doesn't just hurt you, it hurts the whole body of Christ, the whole church. So now, more than ever, we need to be buttressed, hemmed in with the vibrant beauty of the biblical concept of marriage. That's what I hope to do with Psalm 45. I was just thinking the other day, teaching uh, the Sixth Commandment in confirmation class, uh, that I used to dread it. I used to dread teaching the Sixth Commandment because it felt like I was just teaching taboo morality, things you just don't talk about. Uh, But lately, it's become one of my favorite things to teach, both there and in marriage counseling classes that I do with couples. Uh, Thanks in part to this this time of the church here and these lessons, these beautiful lessons about the, the coming of Christ the groom to his bride, the church, that we hear every year around this time. Uh, We Christians have something the world does not have. 
We have a beautiful, mysterious concept of marriage, the picture of Christ and the church. And when you have a beautiful picture of marriage, well, Christianity itself makes more sense. Psalm 45 may be second only to the Song of Songs as a beautiful picture of marriage. Inscription on Psalm 45 reads, To the chief musician set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love song of love. It's not just any song of love. This is a Hebrew word for love uh, used only between a husband and his wife. A two becoming one flesh sort of love. It's an intimate wedding song between a bride and groom. And the first half of this psalm is directed at the groom, the second half directed at the bride. In the Bible, the marriage covenant was part of the civil law uh, and still is, by the way, today. Uh, the church does not have the authority to marry apart from the civil government. Uh, bride and groom would be betrothed to each other for between six months and a year, uh, while a contract between the families was being sorted out. Uh, the fall around this time of year was the ideal time for marriage because it was after the harvest. The bridegroom would choose a loyal friend, uh, maybe a, a good friend, a best friend, to to go before him and prepare the bride for the wedding. And he accompanied her and he helped her prepare. In Advent, we'll hear about John the Baptist described in this way, preparing the church for Christ. And so, hear the words of Psalm 45 in the voice of this, this, this best man, this one who goes ahead to prepare the way that's herald. Hear this singer talk to the groom. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Now, as I'm reading this, I think, you know, the men on the Hallmark Channel have nothing on this guy. He's a king, and he's without comparison. I, I think of the, idea, the ideal qualities in a groom, and he's got them, and more. He's husband material not because of his looks, but because he always speaks the truth. He fears God, and he's righteous. He rides prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. Now, when the wedding day finally arrived, rather than the bride processing like we're familiar with, it was the groom who would go first in procession. But he'd go through in procession through the entire village. And this particular groom dresses himself in the best of garments, scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia, wearing a crown of gold. He's anointed with oil. Literally, he's Messiah. He's christened. Because who is he? He's Christ. And attention is called to his right hand from where he comes to dwell forever and ever because from there, from his right hand, he shall come to receive his bride. He comes from a palace of ivory, riding on a carriage built from fine-grained Lebanon cedar, framed with silver, roofed with gold, and cushions of purple. The richest and most beautiful music accompanies his ride on instruments of strings. 
He processes with his loyal preparer from an unknown place at an unknown time to the bride's father's house. And there he expects her to wait for him, saving herself only to him, a virgin, not defiled by passions or lust. And the virgins of Israel would be waiting along the way in the evening with their lamps lit, their oil lamps lit, until the prepared herald called out, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. And then the singer turns from the groom and he sings to the bride. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. The bridegroom is coming. Do you hear him? That's how you know he's near. You can't see him. You don't know where he's coming from. You don't know when, but you can hear him. You can hear the music. You can hear the voice of the herald, the one who prepares the way. And then the herald cries out, forget your own people also in your father's house. Forget them. Now Jesus said in Matthew 19 that he who made them at the beginning, male and female, said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A man and a woman leave the house of their own father and mother in order to begin a new life together. They don't leave before the marriage. They leave for the marriage. In the ancient world, it was extremely difficult for anyone to live on their own, uh, many more times over than today, and yet they still waited. You didn't forsake father or mother because they were your literal lifeline and support, and they actually depended on you too, which is why there's this contract, uh, this period of waiting where the contracts are being figured out between families. And yet, it's this picture Jesus takes up when he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The bride of Christ gives up all to be with her groom. Nothing on earth, or not even mother or father, comes above her love for Christ. And nothing in heaven or on earth comes above Christ's love for his bride. So the king will greatly desire your beauty. The king will desire her beauty. He desires it because she doesn't have it yet. He desires it because she isn't showing that beauty yet. She's veiled. She's hidden. Brides in ancient times were, were covered completely in a veil, which heightens the mystery and anticipation and the beauty. And the groom is jealous for her with godly jealousy. Those rich among people will seek her favor, but not exploit her or take advantage of her, getting her to shame herself. They desire to be with her, and yet, and yet she does shame herself. She's not desirable by her own doing. In fact, her own doing has made her less desirable. Right after the story of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, who all fall asleep, by the way, not a single one of them, did what they were supposed to do, and not a single one of them waited patiently for the bridegroom, although five were penitent, trusting not in their own righteousness. Uh, but right after this story in Matthew starts the passion of Jesus in Matthew 26, right, right away after. It's this most intense period of showing love in all the world. And what's the first thing we see? Soldiers mock Jesus, and Peter abandons him. These representatives of the world and of the church disown Jesus 
But Christ, the perfect groom, endures their abuses with patience, with endurance, with long-suffering. The church might not wait for Christ, but he's going to wait for her. She might shame herself, but he's going to give his life for hers. He's going to redeem her despite her sin, and he's going to cleanse her from it. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. Think of the many-colored coat of Joseph. Think of the ephod of Aaron, the robe of Samuel, the linen of David, the garments of Isaiah, the robe placed on the prodigal son, the poor clothed in wedding garments, and the robe of, of the saints in Revelation. This is always what Jesus does for his bride, the church. He clothes her. He covers her. He covers her sin and her shame. And though she may have defiled herself, he makes her pure. He considers her as though she is perfect and holy and righteous. And through holy baptism, she is. She is reborn, pure and chaste, without stain, as though she had never sinned. And then he brings her back to the bridal chamber. The veil is removed and the marriage is consummated. This is not done something lightly or for pleasure or passion, but it's the beginning of joys without end. It's heaven. It's a great mystery. We cannot imagine the glory, the beauty, the bliss, elation, rhapsody, joy that takes place in there. And which may be why we only get glimpses throughout the scripture of the entire Bible of the wedding chamber of heaven. We only get little tiny glimpses. At this point, outside the hall, the doors are shut and the feast begins. No one who was slothful or lazy, no one who had more important things to do, or no one who was unwilling to wait for the bridegroom will be allowed to enter. But the virgins, her companions who followed her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. You and I are her companions. The companions of the bride of Christ, the church. We go with her. We are her companions in this great, mysterious story of marriage. This love song between Christ and his bride, the church. We're clothed with holy baptism. Made righteous, but... But how are we awakened to be brought in? We're awakened by the preaching of the gospel. The herald calling out, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. And this is not some day far off in the future. If so, then how could we prepare? No, it's, it's right now. So let me today be the voice of the preparer of the herald. Let me proclaim to you right now here is the bridegroom. Here is the bridegroom. He comes to you in bread and wine. The marriage feast begins right now. If you don't think it begins right now, or if you have other more important things to do, the doors will be shut. The bridegroom is here right now, though his fullness is yet to be revealed. And so we say with the bride in Revelation 22, Amen, Amen. Come and meet me, quickly greet me. With deep yearning, Lord, I look for thy returning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning. It is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.